If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture we're looking at is on the inside cover of your bulletin. There's also a place to take notes on that page as well. We're going to be looking today at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. But to just keep the context fresh, we're going to start our reading in verse 8. And so, friends, listen. This is God's word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is God's word. So we're in the series called Strength in Suffering. And last week we saw the invitation to suffer. This is the Bible getting very, very real and honest about how difficult life can be. We suffer. And the Apostle Paul suffered. Timothy was suffering. And Paul is showing Timothy how he handles it. And in these words that Paul writes to Timothy, we see how. We we get a glimpse of how it is that Paul could write a letter that is full of celebration and hope and joy while Paul is stuck in a prison cell waiting either to be drowned in Rome's toilet water because his cell was connected to the sewage system and at any moment he could have been drowned in the toilet water and the filth of Rome or, better than that, he could be beheaded. That's what Paul was waiting for and yet he writes this letter that is full of hope and joy and celebration. These verses teach us how he can do that. And Timothy, Timothy's suffering too. Timothy has been clamming up about Jesus. He has been giving into his fears about what people think. He's questioning himself. He's questioning his ability to be able to help anybody else. And we've already seen Paul say, look, Timothy, I know it's hard. Timothy, I understand how difficult it is. Join with me. Join with me in your suffering. You have God's spirit, Paul has told Timothy. That spirit is the presence of God that can give you power and strength in suffering. And as we see Paul's words to Timothy, we can apply his words to the suffering that we deal with. The center of the passage we're looking at today is a phrase in verse 10. It's that last phrase that says, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is a huge truth for Paul. Right? This is him looking at Jesus, and in his suffering, he's reflecting on something that Jesus has done that changes everything for him. This is what Timothy needed, and it's what we need today. This is what we're going to see, and we're going to look at this in, in really three questions as we walk through these two verses. So first, we're going to ask ourselves a question. Again, these questions are in your bulletin if you want to take notes. The first question we're going to ask is, what is suffering? What is suffering? And I think these verses give us a little bit of a different view of what suffering is. I put that in the wrong place. Here we go. So what is suffering? 
Suffering is a foretaste of death. Okay? That's what suffering is. Suffering is a foretaste of death. And it's not just a, it's not just a physical death. It's not just a foretaste of physical death. Because death destroys so much more than just physical life, doesn't it? When someone that you love is gone. Right? It's so much more than just their presence that you miss. I mean, well, their presence is so much more than just their body, right? Man, relationships die in death. Emotional connections die. Teamwork dies. Meaningful partnership dies with death. And suffering is a foretaste of all of these kinds of death. When you suffer, it makes you experience some of what death is. Um, because and suffering, the reason why we so often ask the question why when we suffer is because the feelings that you feel when you suffer are feelings that make you feel like you are separated from God. Right? We feel alone when we suffer. We feel confused. We feel helpless. We feel abandoned. We feel angry. We give up at times. We think there's no hope. And these are feelings that we have when we feel separated from God. They're not feelings that we feel when we're feeling close to God. These are feelings that just aren't part of who we are when we feel close to him. And so again, death or suffering makes us feel. It's a foretaste of death. When our relationships suffer in our lives, right, in conflict and in fighting, right, when these relationships suffer, we suffer. Right, with family, with friends, with coworkers, when things aren't going well, we suffer. When things go wrong in our lives, when we lose a job, when we lose a loved one, when a loved one we know, when someone we love gets cancer, we suffer. We lose a sense of purpose in our lives. This suffering, it's a foretaste of death. And when we look at suffering, so much of our suffering is not our fault. Okay, some of it is, right? There are times when we do stupid things, we do sinful things, we do foolish things, and we suffer for it. But so much, so often we suffer because of what other people have done or because of what other people do to us or just because we live in a world that's broken. You know, this world is beautiful, it's gorgeous in so many ways, and yet it's been marred, it's, it's, it's fallen. Our bodies often tell us when something is wrong. Right? You put your hand on the stove and your nervous system will tell your brain, hey, cut that out. Take, your, you know, take our hand off. This is going to kill us. Right? This is going to destroy us. And so you rip your hand off and you put it under cold water. We have feelings and emotions that respond to suffering. And the feelings and the emotions that we experience are ways that our body is trying to tell us, stop what you're doing. Get out of the situation, right? The sadness that we feel, the brokenness that we feel, the despair that we feel, the anger, the frustration, all those emotions that we feel when we suffer, there are ways that our body is saying, hey, this isn't good, just in case you didn't know, if you can get us out of here, that would be really helpful. That's what our emotions are just trying to communicate to us. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. So often, there's nothing that we can do. So often, we're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, I wish we could get out of this mess, but there's nothing that we can do. 
Just recently, I started making a list of people that I've talked to who are suffering. And it took about 60 seconds to list off about 15 people. Um, it's not hard. Like everybody, we all deal, we're all suffering. Um, and I just want to give you some examples of the kind of suffering that's going on in our lives. Someone said, lately my friends have been coming to me for help and I've been helping them but I've been feeling abandoned because when I turn to them and ask them for help, I'm not allowed to suffer. I'm not allowed to be broken because I need to have answers for them. And so I feel alone. Someone else said, I, I just lost my brother to suicide and if I had just been there more. Someone else, I'm suffering because I haven't had a job and I don't know if my physical health could handle me having a job. Well, then finally I got a job, but now I'm seriously worried that my body is not going to be able to handle the work. I trust that God's going to take care of me, but what if my body doesn't hold up under the physical demands of my job? Someone else, I've got a relationship with a family member who won't talk to me. We've had our problems in the past, but I want to reach out and the other person won't respond. Again, someone else. I've got a job that I hate and I've got vocational dreams that I'm realizing now are never going to come true. Whenever we make efforts to try and fix our marriage, we end up at loggerheads. Like even when we're trying to work on it, we just can't seem to make it work. I'm trusting God. I repeatedly pray to him, and yet I'm overwhelmed with anxiety about my kids. Man, suffering is real, folks. If you're suffering, man, don't suffer alone. I'm trying to create space so that you can talk about the suffering that you're dealing with because we're all dealing with it in different ways. We're all dealing with it. It's real and it makes us taste what, it's a, it's a taste of death. That's why it's so awful. Now there's good ways and there's bad ways to respond to suffering. Right? Many of the bad ways that we deal with suffering make it worse. Um, sometimes we ignore our suffering. Um, this is really well done in the church. Christians do this all the time. Um, oh, this isn't a big deal. You know, oh, if I had better faith, I wouldn't be so affected by this suffering. Right? Well, I just prayed about it. I'm giving it to God. And not that that's not a good thing to say and a great thing to do, but sometimes, especially Christians, can use that as some sort of like a, like, so yeah, this is hakuna matata, right? No worries, it's not a big deal, right? And it's like we just sort of sweep it under the rug. We hope it'll go away. But when we do that, ignoring our suffering doesn't fix it. It actually makes it worse. And then a lot of people drown their suffering. Right? They drown it with alcohol, with drugs, sometimes much more socially acceptable ways like career and relationships. So instead of thinking about what I'm dealing with, I'm going to go to the bottle, I'm going to go shoot up, I'm going to go take a hit, 
or I'm going to just give myself into my career and not think about what's really wrong. This temporarily relieves the pain of suffering, but it actually complicates the pain because now you're leaning on something else to fix you that cannot fix you. And then sometimes we just we respond to suffering with compromise. When the suffering that we're dealing with is suffering because we're trying to follow Jesus, sometimes we compromise to make the suffering go away. We can compromise morally. Um, what Timothy was doing was he was sort of hiding his faith from others and not speaking up. He wasn't fulfilling his call. Um, and again, this takes the pressure off temporarily, but then it adds to our souls a layer of guilt that doesn't go away. And so you just sort of exchange one poison for another. Now, Timothy was facing physical torture and death. He was facing ridicule and embarrassment if he was going to be faithful to follow Jesus. Whether you're suffering in that way or not, whether you are seeing that kind of suffering in the future or not, the truths that, tell, that Paul tells Timothy, what Paul says here in these verses, is as applicable to us in our suffering as it is to his. And so... The second question that will get us to verses 9 and 10 is when will my suffering end? Right? When will my suffering end? Because if you at least knew that, then at least you would know what you're signing up for, right? What are you committing to? When, when, when is the suffering going to end? The answer is that suffering ends at the cross. Suffering ends at the cross. This is what verse 10 says, right? It says, Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If suffering is death, then Jesus, what Jesus has done will speak to the suffering that we experience Especially, and I think making this connection will help us understand how him abolishing death speaks into the, deal, the, the suffering that we're enduring. Suffering is actually how God saves the world from suffering. In some ways, we could say that God doesn't save us from suffering. What God does is he saves us through it. God saves us through suffering. And Jesus' suffering on the cross abolishes death and it abolishes our suffering. So if you're like me, you're thinking, wait a second, this is not true. Because <laughs> if Jesus really abolished death, then there would be no more suffering. Right? If Jesus really abolished us, why am I dealing with fill in the blank? I think the word abolish might be a little bit confusing. Um, it can mean to eliminate or end. Um, and, but I think what's important for us to understand is maybe a, a way to understand abolish that would help us understand what Paul means here when he says this um, can be taken from our country's history with slavery. Okay? When I think about abolish, I think about this verse, actually, and then I think about the abolitionist movement. Um, that started in the Civil War, that continues even today with human trafficking. But, but specifically in the Civil War, on January 1st, 
1863, President Abraham Lincoln wrote these words in the Emancipation Proclamation, okay? This is what he says. He says that on the first day of January, in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state in rebellion against the United States shall be then, thenceforward and forever, free. And the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to, re to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they make for their actual freedom. So this is the day, this was the day when President Lincoln freed all of the slaves in the states who were rebelling against the United States. And I think that this is helpful, but I want you to read something. I want you to read something here. This great news abolished slavery in states at war with the North. But this news was announced in real life. Some people rejoiced in it, others fought against it. Though slavery had been abolished, listen to this, many former slaves and former slave owners continued to live enslaved to the institution after it was abolished. For many, it wasn't easy to live in the new reality created by the abolition of slavery. For many, it wasn't easy to live in the new reality created by the abolition of slavery. I think this explains why the Bible says this so clearly, and yet our experience doesn't quite match up. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, speak about this in a little bit of a different way that give us some more clarity on it. It says, Jesus, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and delivered all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. And so Jesus has set us free from slavery to sin. It doesn't have control over us anymore. Jesus has set us free. And the call to us is to walk in it. Romans 6, verse 6, says this, We know that our old self, our sinful self, was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so the Bible says that we've been delivered, that Jesus came and he frees us from suffering by suffering. The price that is paid for our freedom is the blood of Jesus. It's his suffering unto death that sets us free. And so when will my suffering end? When will your suffering end? It ends at the cross, but not in the way that we want it to. And I think therein lies the problem. Therein lies so much of the struggle, is that the way that God plans on ending our suffering is not, it's just not how we'd want it. It's not the way that we would do it. What God did is he came to earth and he endured our suffering. The suffering that we deserved because of our sin, Jesus took it on himself. So Jesus comes as God. He doesn't avoid sin, uh, suffering, 
but he takes it on himself and he endured our suffering. And so there was a German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, who wrote a book called The Crucified God. And in this book, he talks about um, how God in Jesus took up death into his own being. And as a German theologian, he's thinking about concentration camps in World War II, and he says this, he said, even at Auschwitz, God was taken up with their suffering. Where was God during Auschwitz? He was bearing the agony and sharing in the suffering of those people on the cross. This is what Paul is saying, that Jesus abolished death by suffering through it. Friends, there is no other God. There is no other, don't even make up stories about gods like this who would come and take on the suffering of his own people. Like This is something that is so unique, that makes Jesus so incredible, that gives me, for me personally, that makes me want to trust him and follow him wherever he goes. Because who would do this? You might have a friend who would take a bullet for you, maybe. I mean, in the right situation. I mean, you want to think about, do you have a friend who would sacrifice repeatedly, who would come to live for you, who would take all of your punishment before God? That's what Jesus is. And this is the gospel unique among all other views of God, that this God suffered for us so that he can give us his strength. Because that's what he does. He abolished death on the one hand, and yet on the other, he brings life and immortality to light. So the word immortality, I don't know what you think when you hear that word, but immortality in the Bible, this is talking about life that is indestructible, life that doesn't decay, Life that's free from the curse of this world. Okay? When sin entered into the world, everything was marred. Everything went bad. Everything was broken. And so there is in this world a law of entropy where things were losing energy. We're losing complexity. We're lo- right? Things are going down. And what we long for is a world that, where, where life is immortal, where the things that we do, the things that you say, would last forever. Right? Where the things that you would do, the things that you would say, the things that you would think, they wouldn't promote death. Right? When you tear people down, when you roll your eyes in the midst, when you make other people suffer, you are dishing out death. You are destroying God's world and the people who are in it. What we need is life. What we need is immortal life, life that will last forever, life that can survive even the most stringent judgment. We need life that is so perfect that it actually gives life to others. And in the resurrection, that's what Jesus brings. The resurrection of Jesus validates his earthly life before the cross. It demonstrates and it proves that Jesus was perfect. He had no sins of his own to die for, but he was dying for our sins. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that when at the resurrection, Jesus actually became a life-giving spirit. He became someone who could give life to others. And so because of this, because of the resurrection, this downward spiral 
has begun to stop and reverse direction. This is the power of the resurrection that Jesus has brought into the world, into our human existence, a reality and a power that can change you, that can change anybody, that can actually bring more life into this world. And hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, this is what life and immortality is. And this is what was brought in. This is the light that was brought in on that first Easter Sunday. Friends, this is news that brings hope. Because whatever you're dealing with, Jesus can help. Whatever you're struggling with, Jesus can help. No matter what you're dealing with, Jesus is present and he's with us in the gospel. Sometimes it can be really helpful for me to think about this reality. I think to myself, okay, in a thousand years from now, some of you heard me say this, in a thousand years from now, I will have lived somewhere else for 950 of those years, right, give or take, right? So in a thousand years from now, right, starting today, going out a thousand years, think about a timeline, okay, this much of that timeline, this much will be here and the rest will be somewhere else, sort of. I mean, it'll be here, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it'll be here, but it'll be immortal, right? This is why Paul says that the sufferings of this present life aren't even worth comparing to the glories that will be revealed. Right? That can give us hope, and it gives us strength to know what is in the future, and the more we dwell on the future, the more the future gets pulled into the present. And dwelling on this future hope is the way that Jesus gives us strength in the present. In the present. And so, when will my sufferings end at the cross? Well then, how do I endure my suffering? I'm going to give you even more of an answer here on what this means at the cross. How do I endure my suffering? This is the third question. The answer, with daily bread. How do I endure my suffering? With daily bread. The rest of, this ver the rest of these two verses um, are a literal treasure trove that show us how to experience this strength from Jesus' work. Okay, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, He saved us and called us to the holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So, first of all, first and foremost, you don't get this. It's not based on being good enough. Okay? You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to meet up to a standard to receive this life and immortality. You don't earn God's grace. Grace is God's favor, and it's a gift. It's a gift when you believe in Jesus. Right? This is what he says. He says, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Right? This is a gift from God. So there is nothing that you have to do to make yourself anything in order to receive this. If you believe in Jesus, this is what God gives you. If you commit to following Jesus, this is, this, this is the blessing. This is the, one of the biggest blessings. You get his strength because God connects you you are connected to the story of Jesus, to his death and his resurrection. And in his death and resurrection, God gives you his strength and suffering. 
Okay, then verse 9 also says God saved us and called us to a holy calling because of his own purpose. And so this means that your life has a purpose. This means that there is purpose even in your suffering. We're going to talk specifically about why God has us suffer next week. Okay? So the question, why do we suffer? You're going to hear Paul's answer to next week. Okay? Next week you'll hear that. But God has called you to a holy calling, which means that your calling in life, your call to live and to follow Jesus, is a, it makes you special. It makes you honorable. And so Jesus' work, abolishing death and bringing life, it gives you the strength that you need to live out that calling. And what's fantastic about this is that there is assurance. There is assurance. God doesn't just promise something in the future. Okay, the assurance of this is that it has already happened in history. Okay, do you see what verse 10 says? It says... Which he, well, verse 9 says, in which he gave us in Christ before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so what we see here is that God gives us assurance because Jesus was resurrected in history. Okay, the resurrection is a historical reality. It's a historical fact that can be proven Okay, there is historical proof. It's not scientific proof, but there's historical proof because science is by nature the study of what can be repeated. History is by nature the study of what cannot be repeated. And so the fact that you can't scientifically prove the resurrection doesn't make it any less history than the fact that you can't scientifically prove 99% of what's happened in all of human history. Right? doesn't mean it didn't happen. The proof, the bare, I mean, I'm getting off here, but... Um, <laughs> Um, the point is that this happened in history, okay? The people who testified to this didn't say, well, okay, we were with Jesus, and, uh, and he made these promises that if we follow his teachings, that someday God's going to bless us. That's not what they said. You can read the Gospels. You can read the book of Acts. What they said was, okay, the guy that you know, remember him? Remember you touched him? Maybe you heard him? Remember? Well, he died, which we all saw. But guess what? We saw him live. We saw him alive. We touched him. Our hands handled him. We ate with him. He talked to us. We had, and, and ghosts don't eat, by the way. And, so, and, and he appeared not just to us, but there was a point where he appeared to over 500 people, many of whom are still alive. You can go talk to him. Do you know why the Gospels have names for people? Why Bartimaeus is in there? He's not just, oh, the blind man, but it's the blind man Bartimaeus. Do you know why Mary Magdalene has a name? Do you know why Mary's mother, why Jesus' mother has a name? It's because these people were still around. They were living in these communities where these Gospels were being shared. And so these people, they weren't saying, well, we believe this because of some hope in the future. They were saying, we believe this because it happened. It happened. Jesus died and rose again. So now, I don't expect, if you have questions about the resurrection, I don't expect that I just answered all of your questions about the resurrection. Uh, I understand that. But I just want you to know that the nature of proof that the Bible gives us is eyewitness testimony. So the people that died weren't dying in hope of something in the future. Okay, if I really commit myself and I sacrifice my life, then God's going to bless me in the future. No, no, no. They were dying and tortured and they endured all this suffering because they were saying, look, this happened. Sorry. 
Like, it happened. Like, we're not talking about the future. We're talking about the past. Like, you can do whatever you want, but the reality is that he rose again, and I saw him. I touched him. I talked to him, and a whole bunch of other people did too. The reason that's exciting is because God, I mean, this gives us assurance that as Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light in the gospel, like that's as real as that is. That's how real his strength will come to you, will come to you. It will speak to you in every situation. The first thing that Jesus normally says when you're suffering and you cry out to him, the first thing that he usually says is, I know how hard it is. I know you're suffering. I see you suffering. And I just want you to know, first and foremost, you're not alone. I know what it's like, and I'm with you. I had a conversation with somebody um, recently, and they were really frustrated because they said, there's someone on my team at work and the work that this person's doing isn't good, and her poor work reflects on me, and it makes me look bad. And I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do about it. And so I asked, well, what do you think Jesus would say to you about this? And she said she didn't know. So I continued. I said, well, um, we've had conversations about how our work is a reflection of what God does and God's work in the world. Uh, you're in a situation where someone that you work with is doing bad work and their bad work is making you look bad. Do you think Jesus can relate to that? <laughs> and she began to smile. She said, yes, I can see how Jesus had to deal with the same thing. All kinds of people who call themselves Christians do things that reflect poorly on Jesus. So I guess Jesus would tell me to get over it because he's had it worse than me. And I said, no, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. He's your savior. Jesus loves you and he is for you. And Jesus would not come to you and make you feel ashamed. Jesus would look you directly in the eye and say, what you are going through is awful. It's really frustrating, and I understand how you feel, and I'm with you. I'm with you. It's not easy when the people you rely on fail you and let you down, but I'm with you, and let me see if how I treated the people that did that to me might give you strength so that you can do that for them. Friends, that's our Savior. That's our Savior. And so when Jesus says this, doesn't it take on a new light? Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what Jesus wants you to do in your suffering is he wants you daily to come to him because this part of who Jesus is, is like food for your soul. This part of who Jesus is, is it's nourishment to your heart, to your mind, to your spirit. Coming to Jesus and having Jesus say, yeah, I understand, this is really difficult. This is awful. It's wrong that you have to deal with this. I understand and I am going to be with you. You're not alone. That feeds us. It enables us. That's what it means to pick up our cross. 
means, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you through suffering. When we do that, (laughs) when we do that, our life shows immortality. Because we live, we, it shows us now we are living in a way that is stronger than our suffering. We are living in a way that will last through all suffering into eternity. The folks I told you about before, um, the folks who are suffering, um, helping friends and then not being able to get help from her friends, um, as we talked And I just named this. And I just said, well, yeah, this is awful for you. Because you need someone else who who understands, who cares about you. She felt comfort and strength because someone saw her in her suffering and spoke words of comfort. So many people, when you give people permission to grieve, when you don't give them simplistic answers, I know you feel like you gotta say something. Well, you don't have to say something. Sometimes all you need to say is, I wish that life wasn't this way. What you're dealing with is hard. You just create space so people can grieve. A person worried about the job um, and the physical health was able to separate trusting in God with a healthy uncertainty about the future. And when they separated those things, this person was free to be able to trust God, knowing he would take care, and then also to just be aware that, yeah, we don't know what this is going to look like. We don't know what's going to happen. And so that's unsettling because it's uncertain. And there was strength there. There was strength there. Man, there's so much, but we're, I mean, we're out of time. I mean, I'll, I'll need to keep telling you stories in the weeks to come. Um, what is common? Well, l- let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. One of the people that I mentioned is still struggling with career disappointment, and that disappointment is permeating all of life. Okay, so sometimes there aren't easy answers. Sometimes we're in a season, and the pain just doesn't go away, and even, even the suffering doesn't let up for whatever reason. And so, like I had this whole list, and I wanted to share with you the strength that came in their suffering. Well, but there's one that is still suffering, and the pain has not been alleviated, because that's kind of how it is sometimes. Um, And if you're in that place, there's room for you here. Um, But what all of these folks have in common um, is that they're not suffering alone. They're not suffering alone. And that is absolutely crucial. The thing that the devil wants to do more than anything else is to isolate us. He doesn't want us talking. He doesn't want anybody knowing what's going on in our lives and will give us all kinds of reasons to keep it to ourselves. So don't be alone. Don't suffer by yourself. This is why we have life groups. This is why we are looking at discipleship and growing and making disciples. This is the, suffering is like the meat of some of the best conversations about spiritual growth and how to find hope, or just how to not be alone while you bear up under the burden that you're under. And so please, please, make sure you're not suffering alone.
reach out to me, reach out to someone in, in, in the church, reach out to a friend, reach out to a life group person. Just make sure you're not by yourself and you're suffering. Let's go to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you so much um, for your presence. Jesus, thank you that we don't have to have simplistic answers that we know we just don't trust. We know they're not real. Uh, our suffering is real. And so, the, but, but I thank you that in the midst of our suffering, you know what it's like. Jesus, I hope and I pray that every person in this room today would be able to look at you, would be able to picture you coming to them to communicate that you have experienced suffering like they are. That we're not alone because you are with us first. And I pray that you would help us to not be alone. Jesus, give us the courage to pull someone else aside even today before we leave so that we can just let someone know, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm struggling with. And I don't even know if I need answers right now, but I just need someone else to know so that someone else can be thinking and praying for me. Jesus, we love you. You are God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, because you, who were high and above all, you came and you served and you suffered for us. And Jesus, we commit, we will follow you anywhere because of what you've done for us. And as we follow you, Lord, help us. Some of us have people around us that we need to go after, that we need to talk to, that we need to sit down with. Minister to us so that we can minister to others. And Jesus, for those who are here and don't know you, would you show them how much you care? Would you help them to see your cross and your resurrection in a whole new light? That you came to show us how much you care and that you suffered so that we can get through all that you, all that our lives throw at us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.